0: Looking for inspiring destinations, incredible places to stay, and the most exciting bucket list experiences to travel to next? Welcome to Destination Everywhere with hospitality and travel entrepreneurs, Todd Bloodworth and Andy McNeil. Having traveled to over 100 countries, Todd and Andy bring you unique perspectives with celebrities in the know, hospitality experts, and native connoisseurs to discover must-dos and inspirational destinations to plan your next trip for business or pleasure. So pack your bags and get ready as we bring you Destination Everywhere with Todd and Andy.
1: It's time to get you lost in a daydream of coral reefs, beaches, and white, and of course, pink sands, in today's episode. Admit it, you are so ready. When many of us think of a vacation, we think about relaxing oceanside, having fun in the water, and sightseeing. These are all what draw adventurers to the Bahamas. Whether seeking the bustling excitement of Nassau for a meeting or incentive trip, the family-friendly Atlantis for a family reunion, or the romantic, secluded exumas. The Bahamas should be on every traveler's bucket list. Today we will speak with the crowned king of American seafood, Chef Dean Max. He will delight us with ideas and local flavors of the reimagined Bahamas. We will learn about the personality of the different islands, tricks to finding the best tropical experiences, and where to land for some relaxing downtime. A playground for the rich and famous. You too are invited to play in the turquoise waters of the over 700 islands of the Bahamas. Welcome to this episode of Destination Everywhere, the Bahamas.
2: Welcome, everyone, to Destination Everywhere. I'm Andy McNeil, along with my co host, Todd Bloodworth, and we're so excited to have you join us today. We are going to the Bahamas, a place that I grew up going to, the first international destination. I grew up in Florida. So, just, you know, 50 miles due east is one of the most beautiful archipelagos in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely beautiful. So, I am thrilled to be able to go there and share some of my bucket list items, things I did while I was growing up, as well as share with you a very special guest, which is Dean Max. He is the uh, chief executive at DJM Restaurants, and he's got restaurants all over the world, but he's got a very, very special one in the Bahamas. And he's also uh, Florida-born and an old friend of mine as well, and he has been spending his life going to the Bahamas. So between the two of us and Todd, we're going to bring a lot of great content to you about where to go, what to do, everything from the big island of Nassau where you can have large, large events to the small, more intimate things like Harbour Island where it's much more concise and little boutiquey hotels and venues to do stuff. Very, very excited to share with you the Bahamas.
1: You know, I was in a military family, so growing up. I always had this kind of vision of the Bahamas in my head of what it would be like and what the experience was like. And when I got to Florida, well, I always thought the Bahamas was kind of like one or two islands. I had no idea how big it was and how many islands are a part of the 700
2: islands, 700. 700 islands. That. And only 30 of them are inhabited.
1: Well, and let me tell you about uh, this first trip, my first trip to Bahamas. I was probably in my early 20s and I went out on one of those. It's like a day cruise thing. So it was one of those big boats that leaves from, it left from Port Everglades. We went, and I think it was a Michelob light beer cruise or something. And we went to the Bahamas, we went to Nassau, of course, because that's where they go. You're off the boat for about two hours, you jump in a casino, then you get on this boat and you come back. And I was like, Bahamas wasn't that great. It's not what I pictured in my head until I had gone back later And we went to the Abacos and just, it's striking. It's beautiful. The water was crystal clear and the animals and the sea life, it blew me away. But that first trip, if I had let that kind of dictate my vision of the Bahamas, I probably never would have gone back. So I'm glad I did.
2: Yeah. And and it's also it's also changed so much in the last 20 years with the large resorts that are now in Nassau that are kind of best in class. It's really incredible. And, you know, we can't forget that this nation has was hit incredible hard by Hurricane Dorian. And they're right in the path of a lot of the hurricanes that come through. And we're going to talk a little bit later in the episode about how you can help. And they still need help with money and funds to help rebuild some of these out islands. Is it, they got hit really, really hard.
1: Was that the category five that just stayed over the Abacoast? Was that Irma or was that yeah, Dorian?
2: That was Dorian and it, stayed Dorian. Over, it, it just literally sat there for three days. It was pretty, pretty it. devastating. So we'll talk a little bit about that later, but let's just talk about all the great things about the Bahamas. If you go to to Nassau, the big islands, you know, the world largest colony of pink flamingos is there. It's just absolutely amazing. If you're going to go to the Bahamas and you're there, it's definitely one of those things you want to see. Just when you see this acre after acre of these beautiful pink flamingos, it's absolutely gorgeous. So you definitely want to try that. There's so many things to do there. You know, Christopher Columbus was actually the he actually landed in the Bahamas first. that That's been documented. There's some controversy of whether it was the island of uh, San Salvador or uh, Samaná Cay, but they know for a fact that he he references going to the Bahamas first before he actually hit American soil.
1: The big property that I, I think everybody is aware of in the Bahamas is obviously the Atlantis Hotel. Yep, And the Atlantis was always like the big fish in a very small pond. And Now we're seeing some other huge properties develop. It was primarily around the Nassau area. Yeah, that's the main island. Right. There's the new collective uh, hotels and it's, what is it, Bahamar, which is, you know, I think three or four, possibly more, each individually branded. I think there's a Starwood. I think there's a Rosewood. But in terms of like the size and scope, those are going to be right there in Nassau. But then when you go out to the outer islands, you're not going to see those big hotels and you're not going to see the casinos everywhere that you do see on Nassau. So I think when you plan a trip to the Bahamas, if you're going for the casinos, that's great. But if you really want to see the Bahamas, get outside of Nassau, go to another island, the Eczemas, Abacos. Yeah. Or do both. Or do both. Yeah.
2: Go to the big island of Nassau and see these incredible properties that they've built and you still get the gorgeous. And even though they're large, you can get away very easily on that island. And then if you want to take a day trip to one of the islands or a sailboat or a fishing boat to any of the islands, north or south, they're very abundant and an incredible experience. So there's definitely something for everybody in the Bahamas. And we uh, can't wait to share it with you.
1: And Andy, I know you grew up going to the Bahamas. You've told me your dad had a little plane and you guys could go in the access, you know, what is it, 50 miles from South Florida. So it's a really quick trip. So what are your favorite memories of the Bahamas growing up?
2: Well, I think the well, the very first memory that I have is of the deepest sinkhole in the world, which is right there. And that was the very first place I ever went when I was a kid. I was probably eight years old and it's 662 feet deep. And it goes from this crystal green water to just mm-hmm. this deep blue that I still to this day have never seen anything bluer. And then you dive this hole. And so you go down there. And at nine years old, it was just a fantastic experience. And I went, went with my dad and my, and my brother. And we uh, slept on the boat right at the hole. And uh, it was an incredible experience. We, I don't think we ever even got on land. So we went straight from there on a boat and, and came straight back. And then growing up and going to the northern Bahamas, which is 180 miles due east of Palm Beach, That was just an incredible experience, you know, the diving and being in such an unspoiled space. Because you know, growing up in the United States, you have suburbs and cities, and you go right in an hour, be in the middle of nowhere, and see true nature at its finest. and And the reefs are absolutely gorgeous, and the fishing is incredible, and the beaches are some of the best in the world.
1: Well, there were two words that were added to my vocabulary when I went to the Bahamas. One. Goombe smash. I guess that's two (laughs) words, but collectively, that's one word that was... The national drink. (laughs) The national drink. It's a very fruity, pineapple, rummy. And then the second word was a potcake. And your parents brought some potcakes back from... And this isn't a food. What is a potcake, Andy? Because you grew up with them in your house.
2: A potcake is a Bahamian dog. So a Bahamian dog. There's lots of wild dogs on the islands. And before you weren't allowed to, you could bring them back and adopt them. And so my parents spent our entire childhood, adopting pot cakes and bringing them back to the Bahamas. And then the other thing that references the Goombay Smash, which is kind of the national drink, which is pineapple juice, orange juice, and three different types of rum. So that's where the smash comes in.
1: If anybody goes to the Bahamas with Andy, when they get there, the first thing they're going to get Or C, is probably a tray of Goombay smashes because that was always available upon your arrival if you went with Andy. So it was great. And it was a nice way to kick off some time in the Bahamas.
2: Yeah, so there's so much stuff to do. I mean, over and over again, I can't speak to all the great experiences that I've had in the Bahamas and we're excited to bring them to you today and speak to Dean Max, Chef Dean Max, about Bahamian fare. And he's going to give you a recipe or two as well. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: At AMI, we're passionate about meeting connections that change lives. For over 20 years, we have traveled our clients all over the globe, supporting their business goals and helping them stand apart. From hotel sourcing to audiovisual magic, we'll make your corporate meeting or event second to none. Go to AmericanMeetings.com to learn more. American Meetings, AMI, meeting planning perfected.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to Destination Everywhere on our episode of the Bahamas. And we are going to start talking about some of our top bucket list. And boy, we had to pare this down because there's so many things. And I think the first one I'm going to mention is actually cave diving in the Bahamas. And a lot of people don't know you can do this, but there is a huge network of underwater caves. You need to go with a professional. Don't try to do it yourself. But some of the best cave diving in the Caribbean is right in the Bahamas. So definitely add that to your bucket list. And something we used to do growing up, which is an, another one, is soak in the queen, the Queen's Baths of Eleuthera, which are these kind of natural hot tubs made out of coral and the waves come crashing over you. And it's just so much. I just as a kid, I remember just having the best time doing it. So you would just sit there and act like you're sitting in a hot tub. And then these waves would come over and bring nice, warm Caribbean water into these holes for you. Definitely a great experience and one you should add to your list. Well, and one that I remember, and I had no idea this was even a thing in the
1: Bahamas, was, you know, we were out on a boat. At this point, we were somewhere outside of Treasure Cay. And we look over and there's a small island and there are pigs all over the beach. And obviously, since then, you notice it and you see things for it. But you can actually go swim with the pigs and hang out with the pigs on the beach and that is in Exuma. Uh, there's Big Major Cay, some I've heard it called Pig Beach before or Pig Island, but check it out. And if you Google it, you can find out exactly where there are.
2: Yeah, there's, there's, like you said, there's an island off of Treasure Cay near Green Turtle. There's also one down in Eleuthera, but there are several in the, there. And it's just a great experience. And the pigs will actually swim out to your boat. So that's a, that's a great bucket list item and, and one definitely worthy of social media. <laughs> it's a lot of fun.
1: And they're huge. I mean, there are piglets. There's some small ones. But there are some really big ones and they're kind of intimidating when they're coming at you. You're kind of like, are they friendly? Are they not? You know, but everything I've seen, they're very, very friendly pigs and they're used to humans. So my brain wasn't working when you see them because you're an island palm tree and then pigs and nobody else around. So it was neat to see that.
2: Great. Another great thing to add to your bucket list, especially if you go to the out islands is every island has its own tradition of how to do a fish fry. And so it's definitely a local thing and something that you can ask any local about. But there will always be a weekly fish fry. Um, a really popular one is on RORK, R- where they actually have these shacks there, and they do it on an ongoing basis. And they have daily selection of, of local fish that was just uh, caught. They fry it up, and they serve it to you right there. And most of the events have music. And it's definitely a festive atmosphere for definitely add that to your list.
1: Well, and another, if you go out on one of the uh, snorkeling or diving excursions or go out, you know, just by yourself and you do catch fresh fish, you can bring that sometimes to many restaurants and they will fillet it and cook it for you on site. So it really doesn't get much more fresh than that.
2: Yeah, for sure. And so you don't have to go to Australia to see some of the world's best diving either. There's a great barrier reef off of Andros Island. And actually there's, I should say, there's incredible diving everywhere in the Bahamas. But this is one of the largest barrier reefs in the world. So if you can't make it all the way to Australia, this is a great place to go. And you'll see incredible fish, tropical fish. You'll see sharks. You'll see everything underneath the sun and highly recommend it as a bucket list out of it. Everything under the sea. <laughs> Everything under the sea, yes. So it's definitely one of the largest in, in the Bahamas.
1: And another one that I think is just wonderful is one a festival called Junkanoo. It's a celebration. Junkanoo celebrates Boxing Day, and it is December 26th. And it's now turned into, you'll see stilt walkers and dancing and bright outfits. It almost has a Mardi Gras flair, but it is distinctly Caribbean. And... It is of African origin, but it's great. Cowbells,
2: drums, trumpets, everything.
1: And a little story about Boxing Day, for those of you who don't know what it is, if you're from Europe, the UK does it. But Boxing Day is typically a day after Christmas where servants who would work for the wealthy, they would all have to work on on December 25th. So their bosses would box up gifts and then they would open it on the day after Christmas, when which is typically a holiday for staff. So I just thought that was interesting. And obviously you don't want to miss it if you're there around the holidays.
2: Yeah. So that's the day after Christmas, but they actually do junk news now all the time. It's almost like a fifth line in new Orleans, second line, sorry. Second line in new Orleans, same idea, kind of a celebration and a parade.
1: Yeah. Cause you'll also see the Caribbean communities around the country do Junkanoo parades for different Caribbean festivals and things like that. So it may not be on Boxing Day, but you'll get the idea. But if you want the authentic experience, get to the Bahamas.
2: Any experience of Junkanoo. Uh, another thing, and this is something I've never been to, but I saw it and I said, we just have to add this, is the world's largest underwater sculpture is off the coast of Nassau. And it's a 17-foot statue of a hunched woman Symbolizing the weight of the environment burden on the younger generation. So, uh, to, to communicate and to promote conservancy of the oceans. And so, a great thing, a wonderful thing. Check it out online. If you're in the Bahamas, in the Nassau area, a great thing to go see and do. So, that's awesome.
1: And then, of course, you've got the pink sand beaches in Harbor Island. Those are unique to the Bahamas. And if you look at some of the pictures, it kind of looks like the color of the pictures off, but the actual sand is beautiful and if you're looking at a sunset photo and it's on the pink sand beach it just everything looks pink and it glows but absolutely gorgeous so be sure to walk down the pink sand beaches
2: and it's actually a microorganism called Foraminifera, which gives it the pink hue itself on the beaches itself but like you said todd when the sun hits it it just adds to the beauty and grandeur of, of the beach that you're on so it's absolutely beautiful
1: You just mentioned the microorganisms of the pink sand beaches. And what that reminds me is of a time we were at Treasure inside of the elbow there in that water. And I think it was the night, it was a dark night. We sat in the shallow water and just moved our hands back and forth quickly. And then you could see the phosphorescence, which is a green light that will appear when you're doing this in the water. I'd never heard or seen of that before. And so it was amazing. It really was because it's pitch black and then you're looking down now and you've got light around your hands.
2: Yeah, and I'll never forget one of the first times I was over there, it's still, as a little boy, it's one of the things that's kind of one of those memories I'll never forget. It's the first time I saw where I was, what I was doing. It truly is incredible. And it's really awesome, like on a moonless night when there's no moon to dim what's happening inside the ocean. It's absolutely beautiful. I think another thing that's great if you, and you can do this in lots of different places in the Bahamas, is swim with the sharks. But at Compass K, It's actually an activity that you can do inside the marina and they have nurse sharks and it's a guided tour and something where you can actually swim with them and with the guides and nurse sharks, nurse sharks are docile, but you still need to be careful and it can be an incredible experience if you want to uh, swim with sharks.
1: Well, so, you know, obviously we could go on and on about the Bahamas. There's such a great diverse culture there over these huge spans of land. Each of these islands kind of contributes its own special thing, which makes the Bahamas the Bahamas. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be with a very special guest. We're really excited to talk to him. He's got amazing energy. He is so much fun. And he actually has some of the best food you will ever have. So we'll be right back with Chef Dean Max with Pink Sands Resort in Harbor Island. Stay tuned.
2: Well, welcome back, everybody. We're so excited to be here. I'm really excited to have our next guest, Chef Dean Max from DJM Restaurants. Dean's an old friend and old fraternity brother from back at Florida State University. Dean, you have been on a just complete tear since college, becoming one of the top chefs in America. And I think you were actually crowned the king of American seafood a few years back. I mean, how do you get crowned that? You got to tell me that story.
3: No, it's a fun story. It was, it was basically a, a big competition, national competition that the the Wild American Seafood Organization put on to promote uh, American-based seafood. And we had an exciting time. You had chefs. Basically, the governor of each coastal state had appointed a chef to, and I should say non-coastal because I think there are some from the Midwest as well would appoint one chef to kind of go and represent the state. And and so I was appointed that year. And went there and to New Orleans and competed against a lot of different chefs from different states and and had a blast. It was just a really good time. It really kind of promoted what the concept was, which is just serving great local fish from the area that you're from, and pairing with something really cool and and my dish won it was It was a good experience, and we had a fun time doing it. Do you remember the recipe that you did? We sell a lot of clams from Florida all over the state. And so Cedar Key is a big area that sells clams all over the country. And so I wanted to kind of feature, especially because it was a season for those. And I wanted to feature that dish with this really unique smoked bacon that we get from the South. And I made this play on a BLT. So it was this clams BLT and it became a really popular dish. Yeah.
2: Nice, nice, nice. So uh, obviously you have restaurants all over the country. Why don't you just tell everybody real quick kind of where you're located. So if they're in that city, they might be able to stop at one of your places. Then we're going to actually talk about the one that's actually in the Bahamas in
3: a second. Okay. Well, yeah, basically from college. And I don't know if I ever cooked you dinner in college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you were actually the, weren't you in charge of the mess hall at the fraternity house for a year or two? I should have done that. I would have gotten probably yeah. good experience, right? <laughs> <laughs> Cooking for banquets, right? Yeah, um, right. But it, since then I really traveled all over the world. I lived in Italy, lived in San Francisco, lived in DC, lived in the, the mid, in Colorado, I left, you know and traveled really all over Europe and, and South and Central America kind of to learn about food. And uh, you know it just was a big passion of mine. As you know, I went to the business school, in Florida State, so it definitely took a different turn from that, but the business end of Florida State really helped me in growing as a chef because, you know, now I'm up to 11 restaurants, you know, that, that are nationwide, both California, Dallas, Oklahoma, Florida, in the Bahamas as well, like we talked about. In the Cayman Islands, I have a cluster of restaurants down there, too. Oh, nice. So it's been great. So I just get to this great opportunity to travel and share my passion for food with all my chefs, as well as the people in those areas and learn a lot. So being a Florida boy, I base my stuff around seafood. I have a seafood cookbook called A Life by the Sea. That's all about making cooking seafood simple. And so through the years, I think I really love doing seafood, but I do. In Dallas, I have a restaurant called Osador, which is based around meats. Nice. So I do a little bit of everything for sure. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to have to come to the Dallas one. I'm going <laughs> to definitely... So Dean, can you kind of explain a
1: little bit of the hierarchy of a kitchen? You know, I think now that cooking and there are celebrity chefs, you know, my kids will watch cooking shows all day long, whether it's baking or cooking, and and they just love them. And, you know, there's executive chefs, there's sous chefs, there's prep folks. Tell us a little bit about what happens in the kitchens in your restaurants.
3: Okay. Because people ask me this all the time too. They're like, how are you running 11 restaurants and then you're drinking a beer with me on the beach? In Columbus, right? <laughs> so i say, well, uh, it's really careful planning. You know, it really is is great people. Like I've got guys and girls who've been working with me for over 18 years. And what happens is in the hierarchy of a restaurant, you know, you've got the creative leader in the kitchen, which is your executive chef. And then you've got your restaurant manager who handles the front. So Those two people in all my restaurants usually have people that have been working with me for a while. And their job is to kind of cascade down to the bottom, all the way to the prep cooks and to the food runners, a culture of what we're looking for, a freshness of localism, of why we do what we do, explaining that to the guests. In the kitchen, it's really developing a passion for seeking out local ingredients and developing those in a really fresh and simple way and following a concept. When you know you look at a restaurant like the Bahamas or the Cayman Islands, we love to feature the local seafood as much as we can, local produce, local herbs and vegetables in that area first. You know, I don't want to go there and have my chef trying to bring in asparagus and white truffles from Italy and all these different places. That's not what it's about. People come to the Bahamas, they come to the Cayman Islands, they come there to taste what is unique to that area. So The hierarchy in the kitchen, basically, you know, it's starting from the bottom to the up. You know, you've got to have all those key pieces. So the sous chefs have to be growing up underneath of these chefs, and growing these people along the way is the only way I can expand. Because you know, when I go to open a new restaurant, the first thing I do is go back to all these eleven restaurants, and I'll sit and talk with my executive chefs and go, "Who's ready? Who's ready? Who's the most talented one ready for the next executive chef job?" And they move up and. It really helps. And even when it comes to the bar, you know, you see all these bars nowadays are all craft bars with really unique, cool styles of uh, local stuff. And that's kind of how I do it.
1: Yeah, well, we've been we've been to even kill a few times. And it's just it's so great because you don't mind if you're waiting, which you you rarely do. But you want to find time to hit the bar and just kind of like, you know, have a drink, get ready to get settled in for a meal and the atmosphere is just wonderful. You know, we, we used to do the same at Thirty Thirty, but I, I like Even Kiel because it's just kind of up on its own and it's easy to get to for us. But the food is amazing. The staff has just been awesome. Yeah. It was
3: fantastic. Yeah. I really wanted to do with Even Kiel something that was kind of that fish and oyster house you'd get in a New Orleans or a Charleston, you know, or a Boston even, you know, and like, like something like a Neptune or one of these kind of places where it's just all about great Seafood simple. I didn't want to do it as fancy as 30-30 Ocean. I wanted people to be able to come like twice a week and just get some oysters and some fish dip and maybe something simple like a lobster roll, you know?
2: Great. Well, let's turn our focus on the Bahamas. So like me, you grew up going to the Bahamas. You're a Florida boy, like you said. Give us some of your top places to go. Either you go back or you've got great memories of, like I grew up going to the Northern Bahamas, the Abacos, which is known for it's, you know, nice trade winds, great sailing, amazing diving and snorkeling and great fishing. What do you remember? What are are some of your greatest memories and locations you'd like to go to?
3: Well, you know, I've had multiple as well. I've never been to the Abacos and I've been wanting to go there really bad. And after that hurricane, I I think I'm going to be waiting for a little while, but it's funny enough is like in the early 80s, kind of when I was in high school, you know, big thing to do was everybody went to the Bahamas from Florida. So it was, if you had a boat, you were hitting the Bahamas in the summer, but a lot of the big, the big tourism in Nassau and Freeport was so strong too. And back in those days, those areas were really kind of fun to go to. They weren't too big yet. And so my first experience was my parents taking me there because my dad liked to gamble too. And And he loved to go to the casinos there. And it was really kind of a fun getaway in the summer. And then later, you know, we we started to go, as I got my teenagers, We or later, we started to go fishing and diving and all over the Bahamas. My favorite has been like the outer Bahamas, going going to Harbor Island where I have pink sands and Eleuthera. It's quiet, just like kind of Abaco, same way. It's like, it's more quiet. More rural. I kinda of, you kinda of call it the country of the Bahamas, right? So you, you got the big city and you got the country. So and they all have different things to offer. And then I spent many years too going down to the southern part doing to Turks and Caicos as well.
2: Nice, yeah.
3: And you know, I, I brought in conch a lot. Conk is probably the biggest import or the biggest export when it comes to seafood for the island. Yeah, I'll never
2: forget the woman that was our housekeeper every time we showed up. In the Bahamas, she would bring us just fresh conch, and then she would make conch fritters and conch chowder. And it's just a, it's a real staple of the community over there is conch. And so tell us a little bit. Of, you mentioned Pink Sands Resort, and that's where you have Malcolm 51 and Blue Bar. And tell us a little bit about the menu there and what people can expect if they go.
3: Well, you know, what you can expect is a good balance of great local products. So we try to you know, look for stuff that we can get in the area. And then balance it with things that we have to import. And we really work on the things that we do import, importing things that work well for that. So I do like to serve what we have in the air. So we have some great farms over in Eleuthera. Eleuthera used to be great farming and tons of pineapple, tons of tomatoes and goat peppers and lots of really cool things. And then, you know, you've got these really tropical things that a lot of people haven't tasted like breadfruit, and cassava, and all these root vegetables. Breadfruit's great, right? Breadfruit's amazing. And you know, a lot of people in America, you don't really get to eat it because it can't stand a freeze. So even in Southern Florida, I've seen one or two trees down in uh, Homestead, but you don't see many. And then Aki too. It's funny enough, I live in South Florida in Deerfield and there's a guy in the area. I don't know who he is. I've talked to him before. I've seen him in his yard. I'm like, Hey, can I grab some of that fruit? Because He's got an Aki tree there. And I, and I, oh, you never see that. You never see that. And I love Aki. And so, those kind of things, if we're, when we're having those, even on our property, we've got some nice fruits on the property that, you know, we got sugar apples and things like that that you don't find. So, it's nice to be able to take those items. So, you'll always find conch because I think if you come to the Bahamas, you don't have conch, then you've really missed that part of the culture. Grouper has been something that we've been really watching because grouper, we're all concerned with how, you know, the sustainability of it. It's a slow. Is it being overfished now? Well, it's naturally unsustainable. It's a slow growing fish. The oldest females have the best eggs. So back in the days, it was overfished because they spawn in the spring. And in the wintertime, in the springtime is when everybody wants to go to the Bahamas. So that's when you want to have a lot of grouper. So catching grouper is really easy when they're spawning because they just they run in a circle together and they're trying to mate and it's easy to catch them in nets and to grab them at that time. And so it was also a time that were too many were being taken. So they're now, we try to like watch how many we take and what times a year we take them.
2: And so in Harbor Island, do people actually bring fresh fish to the chefs or does the chef source locally from the local fishermen?
3: Oh yeah, we've got fishermen coming in every day and then we'll get guys from Aleutha that'll spearfish for hogfish and those kind of things. And you'll have guys who'll bring in tuna and wahoo and mahi and all kinds of fish like that, kingfish. So the fishing changes obviously at different times of year. So we focus on that. And then we'll have random octopus and things like that, that we'll have on the menu. And then we balance the menu with steaks and obviously pastas. Sometimes the outlet can be really quiet. So if you're busy on the weekend, it's quiet during the middle of the week. My chef and I have a lot of experience making pastas. So that's one of those items that you can make. Now, you know, in a fast-paced environment in America, having people like hand-shaped pastas, is tough you know but sometimes when we have extra labor and you know it's different too people don't understand like we're in a small island in harbor island so people come over from our workers come over from Eleuthera they're coming for the day whether we're busy or not so we get them making pastas and we have so we do a lot of handmade raviolis handmade tortellinis and in a lot of different shapes and cavitalis so it's nice to feature that too when you come off the beach too sometimes you're super hungry all day And and so having a nice pasta with a beautiful lobster, you know, your lobster stuffed pasta or a nice cavatelli with local crab, it's fun.
1: So Dean, you know, we always sell like when we take clients and things out to a dinner or or to a restaurant, there's always that one person that likes to say, you know, can I meet the chef? Can I talk to the chef? Do your chefs kind of embrace that? Do they like going out to the table and kind of meeting the guests? I know they're always busy in the kitchen, but sometimes that little extra touch goes a long way with uh, someone who's footing the bill.
3: It does too. And, and Jed Fox is my executive chef. He's been there for almost five years now at my property, in the Bahamas, which is a long time. He's really kind of come to love the island. We work for one of the same chefs in DC together, and he's lived in Thailand and lived in different. He's a, he's a, he used to be an army kid, so he, he used to travel a lot. So he's used to that, but he loves the island and he's really embraced the lifestyle there. And he definitely comes out all the time to meet our guests You know, Harbor Island is a little bit more kind of small, laid back. It's a very exclusive island. You know, it's been kind of this island where of kind of this culture of of a culture of traveling back to the islands every year for their vacation. So you don't see sometimes these, we do get new people that come to the island, but we have a lot of family tradition where Grandparents have been taking their grandkids there, and now taking their grandkids there, and so you're talking about 70 years of tradition. That resort's been around since the 50s, and the style. Malcolm 51 is our fine dining restaurant in there. That's our dinner restaurant, and it's named after the original owners, Malcolm, and it was formed in 1951. So at that time, they had groups of people who stayed there, but. They had little bungalows and everybody ate like one dinner. So it was kind of, and we still do a family style dinner. When I'm there, we'll do these kind of guest chef's dinners and we do these family style dinners and remnants of the way that they used to do the dinners, which is they made this beautiful dinner with local product they had that night. So you didn't come in and even choose. You just ate with whatever they made. And it's kind of really fun. So we do that on occasion too.
2: So I've not been to the Pink Sands Resort. It's been around for a long, long time. Just tell our listeners like how many rooms does it have?
3: well pink sands resort is only 23 bungalows and houses and we keep growing we're building more houses but the nature of there's no main property with like multiple rooms in it we have a main house structure that has our restaurant on it it has a library there's a game room with a beautiful old billiards table and a library of it's really nice you can have tea in there we've got like two beautiful little tennis courts And then we have all these walking paths that you can meander around the property through all of the greenery and see some of the breadfruit trees and some of the different flowering trees that are on there. And we actually have a garden as well. You can go see our garden. And then we have all bungalows. So most of the bungalows are either studio bungalows. We have one and two bedroom bungalows. And then we have some three bedroom houses as well two-bedroom and three-bedroom houses that are very exclusive. So it's great for couples coming on a honeymoon or coming with a small group of people where you want to get a bungalow or you can get a house together or families getting a house together or even if you're going to have, you know, a small getaway business meeting with your executives and you want to like take over the whole resort. We've had weddings. It's great for small weddings too. People will come over because with 23 bungalows, you can come in there with 50 people and have a wedding. And you own the whole place for them, right? You own the whole place. So it's yours and we cater it just for you. So it's really nice. And our chef works with you and I work with you. I'll try to get over there for those special weddings myself and help him. Or Todd, 50th birthday parties. See, right. I'm, getting, I'm getting lots of ideas. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of ideas. I'm yeah. writing notes. It's great for that.
1: Dean, how much do you accommodate? You know, you always have those guests, especially in a restaurant that think they know probably more than the chefs or the bartenders. And they always kind of like try to throw you a zinger. But how accommodating are your chefs at changing menu items? Is that something that just like they roll their eyes at and they're like, really? And when is too much, you know, it's like, because I've seen like I've been at the table with people and you just want to walk out because they're just so embarrassing. Like they'll send a steak back three times and, and then they'll ask with the chef. And I mean, you guys have to have the patience of Job to really deal with some of these people because I know I do.
3: You know, when you're talking about a crowd of people that uh, come to Harbor Island and that are they get what they want and, and in their lifestyle and a normal basis, you know, we get top executives coming down there and nobody says no to them. No never. And otherwise they lose their jobs. So what we <laughs> do is I don't believe in saying no. I like to say yes as much as I can, but there's some things you just can't do. And obviously, you know, things like your if you make a conch fritter batter, you can't take sometimes the peppers out of it, right? So there's some of those things you can't do, but we do make tons of accommodations. The resort is exclusive. It's about being kind of accommodating to our guests and giving them what they want. And then we guide them. My chef's really good about coming out and talking to them. Some people have so many dietary restrictions. I'm a very healthy guy. I love eating clean. So we try to keep our food like that. We don't use a lot of processed stuff. We use a lot of fresh ingredients, and we have that mindset. So for us, it's a lot of times easy for us to dissect a dish and make it vegan, make it vegetarian, And we try to work with people like that because those are big concerns. When it comes to doing special things, we run a small menu. We like to change it more because we like to adapt to what we can find on the island because it makes for fresher product. And in tune, everybody likes that better. But sometimes we'll get people, especially Europeans, you know, Europeans that stay with us. We get a lot of Europeans that stay with us. What happens is in America, we always things change a lot. You will go to maybe five or six different restaurants on a trip. But Europeans love going to a small resort like this and eating every meal there, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and really enjoy the downtime of relaxing, not having to chase around all of these different restaurants and doing that. So it is kind of nice to do that sometimes. Now, we have nice restaurants on the island too, and it is fun to restaurant hop and go to a couple different ones. But people always kind of come back to it. So we get a lot of Europeans, all, they'll end up after a week eating with us, maybe 20 meals there. So between breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So my chef, what he'll do is that when he sees them doing that, he'll come out to the table and ask them what they'll like. Oh, you know what? I couldn't get a lot of snapper, but I got one big snapper. Can I roast that whole for you with some fennel and bring it out here to you guys and make you a beautiful paella or doing something? So he'll make some stuff that's not on the menu for them and, and they love it. And he loves it too, because it gives him a chance to cook something different.
1: Well, you know, our, our producer, Lauren, she said, she was reading about a philosophy. It's like four hour hook to table for seafood. And for someone to call themselves a farm to table restaurant, are there requirements that need to be met to kind of claim that title?
3: Well, you know what? There really aren't, unfortunately. I mean, I'm not into making more requirements for us all. But in the end of the day, you can taste when people are really doing it. And sometimes people are seeking to be farm to table. They're less so than others. I seek to do it in the Bahamas, but the Bahamas just naturally it's harder to do. And we really are striving to do that, to be more farm to In Cayman Islands, I'm really lucky at that property to be able to have my own gardener. I have my own organic farm. I have two of my own fishing boats. So at that property, we don't serve any fish that we didn't catch, which is really an amazing feature. And I'd like to get to that point in the Bahamas where I can do that too. But what we look at doing is we know that makes it special. You know, spiny lobster that came in that day and you split those open and you put them on the grill and then you make a beautiful butter sauce to go on top of that and roast them on the grill. And like I'm that. getting
2: hungry. It's know,
3: so it's good. Sounds, yeah, It's so good. And we've got these beautiful green papaya that we shred and we do it almost like Thai style to so make a beautiful green papaya salad with that, with some peanuts and local goat peppers and beautiful local limes and cilantro. And you make this beautiful green papaya salad that you stuff in the head and make a nice local rice with that. It's really nice. And we make, you know, the coconut rice and beans that you would find that's very traditional on the island. And then we'll take items that there's a local chicken sauce, which you've probably had if you go to the Bahamas, which is basically locals take chicken wings and they just boil it with hot peppers And spices, they'll use, like, island spices, like, they'll use a little bit of cinnamon in it. They'll use allspice in there, garlic. I remember that. It's almost like a jerk from Jamaica, but Bahamian style. Bahamian style in a broth. And so you eat that, and you're like, wow, those are great flavors. So we'll take the idea of that dish. And there's a lot of people who who do like going to a little shack and sitting there and eating the chicken wings with the bones on them. And it's a little bit more rustic. But for some guests that don't want to eat that, we'll make a beautiful chicken stock with all those flavors, take all the meat off the bone for you. And we'll make a version of that dish that people will love. Well, another dish that's great that you have to have when you're there. And it's a really interesting thing because conch fritters, everybody knows. But what makes conch freighters better than others? And I'm going to tell you what does right now. And a lot of people don't know this. What I remember about a conch freighter and the best conch freighters I've ever had, where as a kid, we'd go to Nassau and we'd stay at a beautiful resort in Nassau on the beach. And I would remember walking down the beach with my dad and my dad would be like, that's where we're going for the conch freighters. And he wouldn't go to the resort for it. He would walk up the beach to a little shack. And at that shack, you'd have, these old local ladies and they had cast iron pans and they would be pan frying conch fritters, shallow pan frying them, and you would eat those. and I was blown away.
2: Yeah, and we used to have the same thing with conch burgers. Do you remember those? They would actually make a conch, like a hamburger, but out of
3: conch. Out of it conch. Was
2: really, really good.
3: And you know, the key to that is what happens when they make that, when you make a conch fritter and make a proper conch fritter, it's a ton of conch. And it's a little bit of peppers in there, a little bit of onion. Sometimes people, you know, you put some spicy pepper in there. And then some of the old traditionalists, you know, they would take a little tomato paste and put a little tomato paste in there for color. And then they would put a little bit of biscuit. That was the old, because that biscuit has got flour and baking powder in there. But you put just a little bit to hold it together, but it wouldn't hold it together. Now, if you took that conch fritter batter and you put it in a deep fryer, Right fritter would just fall apart in there and you wouldn't be able to make like this conch fritter. So what happens in restaurants is that restaurants want to cook everything in the deep fryer because it's easier for the cooks, right? So they make this batter and they make the conch fritter and they put too much flour in there. So what happens when you get that conch fritter, it ends up being very bready. So if you get a conch fritter that's very bready, it's almost like a conch, you know, like a kind of fried bread fritter. So it's more like a hush puppy. That's a lot of what you get in a lot of the resorts and all of that. So the proper way to do that, what you want to look for when you're going around the Bahamas, is you want to see how they're cooking them. And if they're cooking them in a cast iron pan with shallow fry, and you put a dollop of that really barely brought together conch fritter, that's the best. And so that's what we try to do in the restaurant. We keep a cast iron pan there and we'll cook conch fritters the old school way. It makes all the difference in the world.
2: So, and they're relatively easy to make. Are there any other conch dishes that you would recommend? Any recipes that might be easy for our listeners to do on the else? Because I know you can get conch in any, pretty much any local grocery store.
3: Exactly. You're always going to get them frozen because fresh conch, they don't bring in the States. So what you're looking for when you buy conch is you're looking for Bahamian conch. So you'll see sometimes they'll say Turks and Caicos, which is a Southern Bahamas, or you'll see from Nassau or Freeport, they'll come out of those two those areas. So usually come frozen. The conch, it comes cleaned and it comes frozen in a block like you get frozen shrimp. And you can just ask your local fishmonger. He might have to order it for you, but he'll get it in a block fashion, cooked in water sometime or like cooked, cleaned in water. They'll be raw. So you want to get that. And what you want to do is once you get that conch out, you want to cut it super thin. So slice it thin and then dice it up from there. So not slicing in big, thick chunks. You want to slice it thin and then dice it. And then with that, you basically just marinate that in lime juice and a little salt, right? And you put that, you know, in a bowl, stainless steel bowl. Then you would cut up tomato, hot onion. You can use onion and a hot pepper, like a jalapeno. Local peppers would be goat pepper. You could use a habanero pepper if you wanted to, or scotch bonnet if you could get your hands on that. And then with that, we basically put a little... Now, in the islands, they use the juice of what they call sour orange and, or Valencia orange. And that basically has the flavor of a lemon and an orange. So, what I would say if you're making this at home, use orange juice, fresh orange juice squeezed from an orange, use lemons and limes, and you're gonna make this broth. You use the tomato, diced up the salt, and what happens is you get this beautiful juice. Now, you need to let it marinate for at least an hour, and the salt and the pepper and all of that, and celery is another one. So, celery, tomato, Onion, hot peppers, and then that's it. And that juice that comes out of the conch is so flavorful. It's so flavorful, and you eat that with crackers or grilled bread. And oh man, it's the best. It's the best. It,
2: no, the kind of the sour orange, kind of specific to the Bahamas. If if you want kind of real authentic. Bahamian ceviche, Uh, conch ceviche?
3: Yeah, if you have Bahamian ceviche, you want to look for what they call sour orange. And these particular oranges, they're green. They're the size of an orange. They're green, and they have a very porous skin. But when you cut them open, you taste them. They'll be sour tasting, not sweet like an orange, but they'll be sweet and sour. And you can replicate that by using half orange and half lemon or lime. But when you come to Harbor Island, one of the traditional things to do is to go to Queen Conk there, which is a local joint that makes just conk fritters and conk salad. And they uh, serve you some local clique, you know what I mean? So right off the boat, you go by there and get some of that. We make the same version at our restaurant during at blue bar, which is our beach restaurant, because you have to. And you know, the other thing of that, it's super healthy. Like I'll go over there. And I literally will spend three days of my trip over there just eating conch every day. And it's healthy as can be. You got high protein, you got vegetables, there's no fat in it. It's not that bad in cholesterol either. So you're good to go. That's
2: awesome. Awesome. Well, Dean, thanks so much. You've been incredible. Now we have something called our rapid fire questions. And these are questions that um, we gave you ahead of time just to let you think about them. But we're trying to give our listeners a feel for people like you who are global travelers who have seen all different parts of the world you said you've been to Italy you've got restaurants all over the country and so these are just ideas for them to get ideas on bucket list items and things that you do when you travel so you ready yep all right so the first one is have you ever completed anything on your bucket list and if so what it was what was it
3: well i mean my bucket list i definitely I have a big bucket list and as a traveler i know you travel a ton and even traveling to Europe as a kid, people say, oh, you're gonna get that travel bug. And some people who don't travel will tell you, oh, travel now, you get it out of your system. And as you know, you never get it out of your system. It's a travel bug and you wanna go everywhere. And so I've done tons of stuff. Big bucket list things were for me. I'm a surfer too, so I I wanted to surf in Australia. So surfing Bondi Beach was a big one for me. Shark diving in Tahiti was a big one for me too. And I did that. Going to the fjords of Norway, And eating the seafood there was a mind blowing trip for me. Amazing experience. Yeah, exactly. But I've got tons of them. You know, one of the ones that I want to do is I want to in the Bahamas. They have a spot where you snorkel in this fast current through this like five mile an hour current, and they the boat drops you off, and then you do this snorkel trip. So I want to do that when I'm in the Bahamas sometime. I haven't been to Peru, and that's that's a bucket list for me too. So. Those are some of my bucket list items for sure. That's
2: awesome. That's awesome. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be?
3: I think Thailand and Vietnam because the food there is intriguing to me. I love spicy food. I love vegetables and they work a lot with fruits and vegetables and spices. And it's tropical. I love noodles. I love rice and I love the flavors of peppers. I love coconut all things, which, you know, the islands, we use a lot of coconut, both in the Caribbean and we use a lot of those similar flavors, but I think I could bring back a lot of knowledge to my restaurants from that.
2: Nice. Nice. All right. Next question. If you could travel with someone infamous or famous, who would it be?
3: You know, people ask that question to me a lot because I do a lot of things and I like. And I always have trouble with that because there's not really, I guess, a celebrity that I really think about. Oh, I got to travel with this person. You know, there's certain chefs, like famous chefs that would be fun to that travel with. But a lot of times I've, got, I've gotten to travel. And I've got to kind of hang out with Anthony Bourdain back when he was alive in the, in the Caymans and pick his brain on things. So you've already done it. And I've already <laughs> done it. I was a big fan of Emerald a, up as a kid, watching him on TV. And I got a chance to cook with him a lot in the Caymans too for during our food and wine. So I got a chance to do that. I would say as a you know celebrity bucket list, maybe probably going diving and swimming in the blue water with a Jessica Alba would be a good one for me. Yeah, there
2: you go. There you go. <laughs>
3: All right.
2: <laughs> for sure. When packing for a trip, what is something that you pack that may surprise listeners?
3: Well I don't know if it's surprising, but I, I never leave without it and I actually freak out if I forgot it is my swimming goggles because a lot of times I'm traveling for work. And I love diving and I free dive a lot in the Cayman Islands and in the Bahamas. And I, sometimes when I'm down there, if I'm busy, I bring my mask and my fins and my snorkel because it just takes up too much space. And I, sometimes I'm traveling with a backpack. If I'm going two days, I'm traveling with a backpack. But I've got my goggles on and I'll be sitting sometimes waiting for like a little a boat ferry that's going to take me over to an island to the restaurant. And it's, it's 30 minutes late and I'll slip into my board shorts and put my goggles on. And dive down on the ledge right off the dock, right? Just to nice. see what's down there.
2: There's usually a lot of good stuff right there, right? There's usually there some good fish out there, right? There's some
3: good lobster right there.
2: All <laughs> right, baby. There. And the last question is, um, since we're talking about the Bahamas, what has been your most memorable experience in the Bahamas?
3: There's been so many memorable ones. Definitely going to Freeport with my dad, you know, and mom and walking down the beach and, and having a guy right off the beach with a bucket of conch make a conch salad for you on the beach. That was my first Bahamian experience. And he literally had all the vegetables on a cutting board there on a little wood. He had like a wood table that he actually built a backpack out of it. So it had straps on it. And when he was ready to leave, he'd put the straps on and walk away with his table. And he had a five gallon bucket where he had his vegetables. And he said, he would have his tomatoes, his celery and his peppers there, hot peppers and his oranges and, and limes. And then he would have the conch that he dove for. So even in uh, Pink Sands Resort, one of the big things for me was I got to give people that experience because it was so special for me. So when I'm down there, we'll do that too. The chefs will bring down for lunch. We'll bring all that stuff down to the beach and people will be having their you know, rum punch down there or their fancy Goombay smash. And they can walk from their chair over to our little shack that we put on the beach there and make conks salad for them because I think it's an unforgettable experience. Wow.
2: So that's nice that you brought that back from your personal history and brought it into, into the business. So that's awesome. I just heard you reference a couple of times the Cayman Food and Wine Festival.
1: What's a must-go-to food and wine festival that you're aware of? What's probably the best one to tell people about?
3: Well, I I literally do probably 20 food and wine festivals a year, which is crazy on my schedule. And my favorites are by far Cayman Cookout, which is our food and wine there in January. It definitely, the Hawaii food and wine, they're the top ones for the top two for me. What island is Hawaiian food and wine on? They actually do a three-tier one. So they they do a two-day one on the Big Island. They do a weekend one on kicking up to the Oahu one. they do a weekend one on Maui. And then they do Oahu for a week. What's great about that, what's great about Cayman Cookout is that they're small, they're boutique. You actually get to meet the chefs. You can look at South Beach Food and Wine. The chefs will pop in, they pop out. And so they're busy. Now, one of the things we do in the Bahamas, and, it's worth, and then I think people should watch out, look at our uh, Pink Sands Instagram, our Pink Sands Resort Instagram, or follow us on Facebook, or come to our website and look out for it, is that I've been doing a series of four kind of chef's weekends. So we don't do it at that extensive of a feel, but I do like a little chef's weekend where we'll, I'll bring in a guest chef and we'll make really cool local food using their twist. It's a really fun time. Harbor Island, I'm going to probably work on as things get back in the next year. I'm going to work on doing, uh, start um, hosting like another, a little bit bigger festival. Maybe only because Harbor Island is so small, I can't really support it, but a small festival, maybe like eight to 10 guest chefs and winemakers. Be fun.
1: Oh, that sounds awesome.
2: Well, Chef D. Max, thanks so much for joining us on Destination Everywhere. And we look forward to seeing you at the, Pink Sands Resort in the Bahamas on Harbor Island. Thanks so much for joining us.
3: Thank you. it's great to hear. And I can't wait to see you in the Bahamas. Thank you, Dean. Take care.
2: All right. Welcome back, everybody. So gosh, Dean, how much energy? I mean, I'm so excited to try that ceviche recipe. So I uh, will put that up on our website. And again, thanks, Dean, for just a wonderful interview. telling us about his experience and, and what to look for in the Bahamas.
1: No, he was great. He's passionate and his excitement rubs off on you. You can't help but just to say, I want to get back on that plane. I want to get over to Harbor Island, go to the pink sand beaches. If someone enjoys it that much, you know, there's got to be a reason for it.
2: Well, Harbor Island is definitely one of those ones you want to go to. I've been is absolutely incredible. I mean, I think, you know, let's kind of just recap some of the bucket list things we heard about. And I think one of them is actually renting out the uh, pink sands resort. It's only 28 rooms. That'd be incredible. For me, that was the bucket list that
1: just popped in is just rent the whole space out. You got the entire staff, the attention that you must get if you're the only guests that are there is just going to be over the top.
2: And that would be great for an executive retreat to like a senior team retreat or a family reunion or a wedding. Birthday party, surprise birthday party. The birthday part, <laughs> incentive program for your sales team. I think you know there's lots of different ways you could use that resort. So it um, sounds incredible.
1: Well, let's just recap some of our bucket list things that we talked about on this. We've Dean's Blue Hole, the big sinkhole that is absolutely amazing if you're into scuba and
2: snorkeling. And one of your favorite is, just, and this is, you can do this anywhere in the Bahamas, is checking out the phosphorescence on a moonless night.
1: Love it. That was, that was really cool. You've got the Queen's Baths in Eleuthera. You've got pigs on beaches that you can swim with and hang out with, sunbathe with, which is awesome. Snorkeling, we've got the Andrus Great Barrier Reef. I mean, you don't have to go to Australia, but if you don't have time to go to Australia, you got to check it out.
2: Yeah. And then at Compass Cay Marina, you can actually swim with sharks and feed them. And that's like definitely a once in a lifetime experience. So put that on your there. And if you're going to stuff that's more local, experiencing a junk canoe, whether it's the day after Christmas, which is the traditional day that junk news happen, but they now happen all the time. Experience a a junk canoe parade is definitely one of those things. One, Todd, that we didn't mention is make sure that you have a Goon Bay smash, which is the official drink. Gotta have a Goombay smash. Is the official drink of the Bahamas. It's actually a
1: meal too. It's very hard. You drink, it'll fill you up.
2: Yep, And we talked about the local fish fries on each one of the islands. Each one has its own flair and its own traditions. So make sure you add that to your list. It's one of the great traditions of the Bahamas. And walk along the pink sand beaches of Harbor Beach. Absolutely gorgeous. Yep. And then we talked about the Atlanta statue, that 17-foot sculpture. The The Atlas statue, yeah. The Atlas statue and Astol. It's something that you can dive and swim around and definitely a, a bucket list thing for me. So just a beautiful country. The people are warm and friendly and nice and very hospitable. I will say that the Bahamas, as everybody knows, over the last few years has been hit by Hurricane Dorian, and they're still recovering for that. And even though the beauty is still unmatched, a lot of the infrastructure was destroyed during that. So if you would like to give to Hurricane Relief over in the Bahamas, you can go to the official website, which is bahamas.com relief. And there's all different types of vetted, approved charities that you can donate to in honor of helping a wonderful country out that needs the help. So please consider uh, donating to the Bahamas and their relief efforts that's still going on a few years later because of Hurricane Dorian.
1: And then, you know, we'd also like to thank the Bahamian tourism folks for helping us with this podcast. Uh, We'd like to thank Dean Max, obviously, and we wish him all the success in the world with his restaurants. And a couple of other people on our team we'd like to thank. We have Lauren Campbell, who's an amazing podcast producer Andy Fernandez, who have creative director and Guy Quattlebaum, who's a content developer. And don't forget Chris Jordan, our copywriter. She does a fantastic job for us as well. And Chris, thank you, Chris. So on behalf of myself and Andy McNeil and our entire team, thank you very much. And we look forward to seeing you next time on Destination Everywhere. Safe travels.
0: You've just tuned in to another episode of Destination Everywhere with travel and hospitality entrepreneurs, Todd Bloodworth and Andy McNeil. To access the show notes and other helpful resources, visit destination-everywhere.com. Join us again next week for another bucket list-filled show as we feature another travel-worthy destination. Until next time, travel well and be safe out there.